So here's the deal. Uh, last week in second and third, it was so hot in this room. Oh my goodness. So I'm reading this thing and it's all the way back around the back there. It's so funny. Anyway, it was, so I read this thing where the, you lose the majority of your heat from your head or your feet. So I just decided that we'll be okay. Moses did it before God at the burning bush. I can do it here. It could be a whole spiritual thing. So the kids went to uh, kids camp uh, last week. And, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So last year we, we showed you uh, epic, Eric's epic belly flop photos. So this is this, this year's. So we start, he's getting ready, he's got his redneck bandana on. Next. Huh? Look at, no fear. No fear. Look at this, look at this. This one little girl right here. Look at her. She's like. See? It's awesome. See, we don't hurt your kids, we just hurt Eric at this. All right, uh, I have one thing to tell you about before we get started. Uh, last week in this service, uh, the room was actually full, and we had uh, 20 people in the back watching the TV, because apparently I'm better on video. Anyway, uh, so they were watching the TV in, in the back, and so we're, we're actually very impacted, obviously, as you can tell, in second and third services. And we're trying to figure out, you know, again, places to move, what we're going to do, how that's going to work. And Mikey, our, our main sound guy, oversees our website and stuff. He had a couple of really great ideas, but those great ideas mean that we would kind of stay in this spot. Uh, in order to do that, we'd actually have to buy the property we're on, which is not cheap. So don't worry, I'm not asking you for $5 million. <laughs> Unless you have it and you want to give it to me. Okay. Uh, but what we're doing is we're trying to figure out a way that we could actually do this. So one, start praying for that. You know, God, please give Alman a boatload of money. Uh, and, and secondly, if you have ideas, because we're out of ideas. We don't, we don't know how to raise that kind of cash. <laughs> we're poor. We don't know how that works. So if you have like just some crazy idea that's kind of stewing around in the back of your head, this is John. Uh, he's the chairman of our board. And he's going to be in the back after service. And if you have a crazy idea you'd like to talk about, not like, let's wash cars, because you can wash five million cars all yourself and have fun with that. I might come over and wash one or bring you mine, but, okay, bake sales don't raise it. But if you have, like, a crazy idea in the back, you just something stewing around, you might have an idea how to do that, go and talk to him, uh, because our board would love to maybe get some more ideas about how to do that. Because, again, we want to uh, serve God most effectively and, and lift up Christ in all that we do, and that's a good way to do that. So there's John. That's my little thing I got. Uh, if you're new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, download an app. It's called Version. Click on Live in that. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get all the verses and notes and all that kind of good stuff. Why don't you stand with me? Reading to God's Word. Someone said to me, the title of this message is, uh, this, this is an old movie. Did you steal it? And I said, I know it's an old movie. I saw Sidney Portier. I know how it works. Those of you who've never seen it, just forget it. It's an old movie, and it's actually excellent. You should watch it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who show your hospitality to everyone we come into contact with, that we would understand the great salvation that you have bestowed upon us is to be lived outward in our lives so that we can make a difference, lifting you up and bringing glory to your name. Amen. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 18. Got lots to cover today. 
Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, makes everything good. Genesis 3, we come in, we mess it all up, we break relationship with God. And what you see throughout the rest of the scriptures is God is coming and restoring relationship with man. Again, this is called covenant. And when God gets to Genesis 12, he starts talking about covenant and he's pointing to this son, this boy that's going to be born. Uh, and the point of the scriptures always keeps seeming to coming back to this boy. Why the boy? Because this boy eventually leads to Jesus. Throughout Genesis, you get a bunch of snapshots of different people's lives and little brief periods. Today that happens again, but it gives you a much greater depth of insight into heaven and hell as present and future realities by a simple meal and then a conversation. Many people come to Genesis 18 and they'll split the whole thing completely in two and think they're two totally different things. I don't think that. I think they all go together to help us understand the idea of salvation and the idea of damnation and what they are better, and we're going to flesh that out this morning with you. Uh, the first half of 18 deals with the message of life and hope. The second is death and destruction. Both reveal the sovereignty of God. And so chapter 18 starts off assuming you have read chapter 17 because the Bible's like that. It assumes you actually read it. Whatever. All right. <laughs> and so you, what you do is you get a lot of he's and him's in, in this section. And you don't know who that he and him are Abraham unless you've read it. So if you missed it and, or you're new, this is Abraham. You're welcome. So it works. So 18 starts off with a bang, but it's kind of subtle. Imagine this. Chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Now, imagine that. God shows up in person to Abraham. This has caused a stir in the imagination of the church for ages. The Jews actually call this section of Scripture in the Torah, they call it Vayera, which means, and he appeared. Now, there's two views of what's happening. I will give you both, and then I'll tell you what I think, because it's right. That's not so funny, but okay. Um, the, the first view is this, and I talked to you about this about a year and a half ago. If you were here, there's about 150 more people coming now, so most of you didn't hear it, so I'll give it to you. The first view is what's called an Eastern Orthodox position, and this holds that when God shows up to Abraham in chapter 18, the entire Trinity shows up, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, in Genesis 1, God creates man, and he speaks in plural. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Now, for Christians, we look at the totality of the scriptures, and we see this as our beginning of the understanding of the Trinity. When God makes man, he makes us male and female. And don't mistake me here when, when I say this, but in a divine way, and i got to be careful so you don't think I'm just a weird, crazy hippie or anything like that, but God is male and female, father and mother. He is holy. He is not like us. God is one God, but he is more than one thing if that makes sense and so we use this poor analogy today we say god is like h2o well god isn't like h2o god is like god there's nothing like him but we have this poor analogy that god is like h2o there's steam liquid and ice one of those things is an h2o they all are h2o that's kind of the idea of the trinity our god is one god revealed in father son and spirit so judaism when it got to genesis 126 didn't know what to do with the words let us and there's a lot of ink spilt a lot of bad blood about it and they started to say well there must be other parts of God that are out there that are not creator. That's why when you get to Proverbs, you have the word for wisdom. It's a woman's name, and her name is Sophia. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom, Sophia, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. So it's not God, but it's like an extension of God. It's like mental gymnastics to get around this whole idea because they don't know what to do with it. So they said there's like a presence of God and a wisdom of God, and then there's also a glory of God that cannot be fully described. And so they called this the Shekinah. The Shekinah means the ineffable, that which cannot be explained. And as the scriptures progress from Old to New Testament, we realize they're struggling with this concept of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, even in the Jewish faith, they knew there's this deeper understanding of God that is altogether unknowable. This is why God reveals himself to us. Now, today you'll hear things like religions are all alike. They all speak to the same God, just different cultural contexts. That's not actually true at all. Religions differ in their view of God and man. And what, what marks Christianity different is that God has revealed himself in a certain way. Why does this matter? Because we will become like that which we fall down to worship. You know, whether it's yourself or, the, or Allah or the, the God of Mormonism or Jesus, whoever he's been, like the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses or the Jesus of the bunch of hippies who hands out flowers at the airport. Whatever that's like, you end up looking like that. Because Ephesians 5.1 says, we're to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So element we try to present you who jesus is as best as possible as revealed in the scriptures because we want to be like him we want to imitate him and we want you to live like him so where does the trinity begin genesis 1 where is it more fleshed out in the eastern and western traditions in genesis 18 so let me go through you with this genesis 18 verse 1 and the lord that singular appeared to him abraham by the oaks of mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day when he saw them that's plural he ran from his tent door to meet them plural and bowed himself to the earth O lord singular if i have found favor in your sight do not pass by your servant let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest your under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, plural, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said, Do as you have said. Now, what's important about this and why they view it this way is that there are three men present, but he addresses them in the singular, the Lord. He addresses them not as my lords, but Lord, the word Adonai. Now, I showed you last year, there's this painting in the 1500s that represents this. It's by an artist named Andre Rubilev. Okay, now this is in the 1500s, and this is the standard Eastern view of this meal with Abraham. The original painting actually had Abraham and Sarah in it, but he took them out. So these are the three, the Lord who came to meet with Abraham. On the left is God the Father. He is the creator. In the middle is God the Son who came to redeem. On the right is God the Spirit who sustains his people. All their heads are bowed mutually to each other, showing their mutual submission and equality. There's a space at the front of the table, and this shows that there is a place for man to come into relationship with God Again, now where they're at, they're outside the tents of Hebron. Uh, each has a staff and wings, which makes you wonder why they need a walking stick if they got wings. They could just like fly there. Uh, each person is wearing blue. This signifies divinity, and the stick is actually a sign of authority in this. So the creator of the Father on the left, he has very little blue because he is covered with the Shekinah. This is the gold that's over him. It's 500 years old, so the gold doesn't shimmer like it used to, but this is to be the glory of the Father. And if you notice, he's not touching that table in any way. So you look at the sun. The sun's in the middle. He has a gold stripe on his shoulder, proving his kingship and his glory. He's wearing blue, but he has a lot of brown, showing that he came as a man. He has two fingers on the table. These two fingers on the table, sh- table show he's of double nature. He is fully God, and he is fully man. In front of him is this bowl that represents his death, but also the communion that we share every single week. Uh, on the right, you have the spirit. His hand is fully on the table. That means he is fully engaged with God's people. He is blue, but mostly green. That shows he is full of life he is the giver of life now behind the father it's very hard to see because the painting's really old is the temple this is where god was worshiped behind the sun is an oak this is to represent the oak trees of mamre but also represent the tree that jesus was crucified upon behind the spirit it's again very hard to see there's a mountain Uh, this is sinai it's also representative of all the mountains that were to come Hermon, tabor calvary zion all the places where god spoke to humans throughout history now, if you look at this, it's, it's kind of a beautiful representation of this. And, and could it be right? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but I think that in the text, 
going this far, you're reading a little too much into it. I think the Trinity is completely true, but this is Genesis 18 is another stepping stone to help us understand it. In the Western church, and we as element, what we see this is is what we call a theophany. This is God appearing to man. We believe this is Jesus, probably pre-Jesus, but we see it as God and then two angels. And when Abraham says, my Lord, he's addressing Jesus and not the two angels that are with him. I think that's pretty clear from the text. So I'll do it one more time and we'll walk through it. Genesis 18.1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now Mamre in the Hebrew text at this point is coming to have this connotation of fatness. That means the choice portion. Like if you go have a T-bone, there's usually two sides. There's a filet side and a New York side. And whatever side is your favorite side, that's what that represents. The fatness, the choice portion. My, light, my wife likes the filet side. I like the New York side. So we're just great because it's awesome. Uh, and, I mean, you ever, like, rappers, you know, say, oh, it's fat, right? That's what this means, you know, P-H-A-T, pretty hot and tempting. That's, it's like this is blessing as we think of blessing. It says, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, if you have an ESV study Bible, there's a footnote in there, and I think it's hilarious. It says, in the Middle East, an elderly man of some social standing would not normally normally respond in this way to visitors. And I think, really, a 100-year-old man in any culture doesn't respond this way to visitors, right? Because he's going to break a hip. Ah, boom! You know, what is that gopher hole? And I fell into it, and I, help, help me up. Uh, he said, and said, oh, Lord. And I love that he, he says, oh, Lord. He recognizes God in the midst of these three visitors. The word Adonai, it means Lord, but in the Hebrew, text it's only used in reference to God in this way and so he recognizes there's something familiar about God as he steps into this context and this is so true of how God works I'll tell you there God shows up in a lot of people's lives very few people actually recognize him when he does and to me, it's amazing that sometimes people see God's love and provision help throughout their lives. Every time I get a green light, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because I seem to catch all the red ones. Others people go through life and they whine and complain all the time because God never helps me. I never see God in anything. We need to be people like Abraham who open our eyes and see the work of God in our lives that we don't miss Jesus' provision when he shows up. We cannot always have our eyes closed. And this is the idea, starting in the text of salvation. Salvation is seen as understanding the provision of God, that God provides for his people. And so he says this, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, tree while I bring a morsel of bread. And that's really funny for how much bread he actually brings them in just a moment. That you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they say, they said, do as you have said. So where the Eastern Church sees the full trinity here, the Western Church in Elements sees this as the understanding of salvation. You will see this throughout the text here. This idea of relationship of God restoring relationship again and it's seen over a meal this is one of the reasons we actually put food in the back uh, I, I mean as element grows we hopefully will always have food like this because it's the idea of a meal if you're in a gospel community you should be having meals together regularly you know you eat every single day you can always invite somebody over when you eat I mean you don't have to act seven days a week or something but it, it, you invite somebody over because it's a whole idea of restore relationship in a meal and what you notice in the text is that God, uh, Abraham didn't go and find God. It wasn't like, I found Jesus. Like, Jesus was lost in the woods with a busted compass and can't find his way out, and Abraham found God. It's that God showed up out of his own goodness. You also see that Abraham didn't merit God's blessing of a child or land or hope, but God came to him, and God gives it to him by grace. And so what Abraham does here is what we're all supposed to do when God invades our lives, and that is respond. 
And how does Abraham respond? He responds with hospitality. Hospitality is to be the hallmark of Christianity. Fellowship is when we love and embrace Christians, which we should do, but hospitality is when we do it for strangers for the purpose of showing them God's love. Abraham knows God. This is fellowship, but he doesn't know the angels, and this becomes hospitality. And throughout the scriptures, you see over and over God's kingdom is related to you and I in a meal as hospitality. It's amazing that God shares this with us. And so what you'll see is salvation is seen as restored relationship between God and man, and this is done over a meal. So Abraham's 100 years old. He says, God's going to come to dinner. What do you do when that happens, guys, if you're married? Get your wife, exactly, because we don't know what we're doing. I can make peanut butter and jelly and barbecue tri-tip and not that well. So, you know, they're not barbecuing it down on Broadway at this point, so you just got to get it. So he gets some help. So he goes, gets his wife. It's biblical, apparently, so it's okay to do this. You over your head, hey, honey, I said we'd beat him. I need some help. Okay, verse 6. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah. It's like, it's like hey, baby, we've got nothing to eat because Jesus is here. What are we going to do? And said, quick, three sails of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Now, this isn't Abraham saying, woman, make a sandwich. That's not what he's doing. He's going to run off and go do a bunch of other stuff. So he's getting everybody kind of all moving forward in the same direction. She goes to work, makes her own bread. That's a lot in hospitality. You know, seriously, this is, this is like a big appetite of some sort. Because three sales of flour is 50 pounds of flour, 22 liters, seven quarts. It's enough to feed 100 people. Apparently, God's got a big appetite. Verse 7, and Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Now, see, that is some fresh meat. I mean, you go to a Trader Joe's and get your fresh meat. It's not this fresh. It's not like you got the little kid behind the counter going, that cow. Guy's Louisville Slugger. Funk. Okay, here you go. I mean, this is fresh meat. Verse 8, then he took curds and milk and the calf he had prepared and set it before them. And then what does he do? And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. This means he was serving them. He practices kindness, humility, and service in response to what God has done in his life, as we all should. And I can't stress this enough that here is salvation is seen in service, in service. See, God then continues kindness. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? It's not that God didn't know where she was. This is actually a reference back to Genesis 3, where God says to Adam, where are you? After they sinned and ran around the garden. It's, it's a way for God to start a conversation about his promises. And he said, she is in the tent. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. She is 90 years old. They've been waiting 25 years for this promise. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So she's eavesdropping. Girls don't eavesdrop. Not at all. Not at all. Especially wives on their husbands or husbands on their wives. See, they're a normal couple. They're totally normal. Sarah's a little nosy. She's a busybody. I'm sure Abraham was too. Verse 11. Uh, now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. This, in our vernacular, means menopause. She has gone through menopause. She's got hot flashes and mood swings, estrogens like out of control. She goes from a sweet woman to axe murderer in five seconds. She's going to offend everybody. Next week, we hit Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not offended today, you will be next week. It's all in our effort to grow element, get some more seats in the room. We're just going to keep going with that. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. She laughs like Abraham did in chapter 17, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, you have to understand the honesty of the scriptures in this. What she says is actually a sexual euphemism. The word for pleasure is the Hebrew word. It's edna. What it means is abundant moisture it says the opposite she says well i'm worn out which means withered and dry you know we did the song of solomon last year 
And I told you that God created sex for various reasons. He creates it for children. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So part of the blessing for marital intimacy is children. Martin Luther, holding one of his children on his knee, said this is the best of God's blessings. Uh, it's also created for oneness. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So it's one flesh, live in one house, sleep in one bed, worship one God. It's made for oneness. It's also made for comfort. After David and Bathsheba lose their child, 2 Samuel 12, 24, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to lay with her. And she bore a son and called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. So they shared their bodies as a gift of comfort. It's also made for protection, that we have desires, those are to be met in marriage. If you're not meeting those in marriage, you're open to temptation to sin, but it's also made for pleasure. Really, pleasure. The Song of Solomon, all it talks about is pleasure. It doesn't even talk about kids. Are you allowed to have pleasure in sex? Yes, that's why God made it. And not to be vulgar, but if sex was only made for procreation, men would get an erection once every nine months, and that would be it. But that's not how it works. And so it is not when, what, how, where you do it. It's who you do it with. In marriage made for pleasure. And Sarah says these words, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have pleasure? She's not just laughing about not having a kid, which she is, but she's also laughing and saying, am I going to be able to get excited about having sex with my husband again? I mean, he's 100 years old. They don't even make Viagra yet. You know, what's going on? Are we actually going to be able to, to, to do this thing? Says, am I going to have pleasure? She, and this is actually what looks I'm going to have pleasure again in this. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now, did she laugh out loud? No. So mockery, even when it's quiet in your heart, still counts. And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus says, why are you laughing at me? I'm God. I can get it done. I said I would do it. Do you think I'm incapable to do what I said I would do? I mean, she goes, am I barren like you, Sarah? I mean, the issue is, do you trust me? And this, again, what you see through the text is salvation is seen as trusting God and his promises you got to trust me do you trust god god makes creation from nothing he will eventually make a virgin give birth to a son who is god in the flesh he brings jesus back from the dead is this going to be too much no not at all he says do you think anyone is bigger or greater than me can anyone stand in my way can anyone defeat me and my purposes no no he says at the pointed time i will return to you about this time next year and sarah shall have a son She's like, I'm barren. I've been through menopause. And God says, I know you have. I was waiting until it was obvious who gets this thing done. Because God loves it to be the fourth quarter and 30 seconds left and 127 to 2. And he comes in and wins the game. Because that's what God is all about. He gets it done. God's in it for glory. Verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Yeah, because Jesus pointed out to her face. You just laughed at me. No, I didn't. I'm God. I know when you laugh at me. She could have said, thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a baby. It's it's wonderful. I waited so long. And this is like you and I so many times. We sin, we mess up, and then we deny it and we lie. I mean, everybody in jail is innocent, right? Everybody in jail is innocent. Men and women lie all the time. You ask ask, uh, women, do you nag your husband? Oh, no. It's firm, consistent encouragement. Right? No. It's not. You ask men, do you ignore your wife? Oh, no, no, it's my way of helping her know she hurt me. No, you ignore her. We all lie. Jesus is not just some other dumb guy that we get to lie to. She looks at Jesus and says, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus goes, yeah, I know everything about you. I made you. I know. So he gets the last word, and he said, no, but you did laugh. And I I hope what you see in this, because it is funny in the text, and I think God just is like, 
these people I made, they're just crazy. (laughs) And, And you look at the text and you see all these representations of salvation. I mean, salvation is not going to heaven. It's not pearly gates and gold streets. Salvation is God extending himself to us in hope and redemption. It is a work that he does. It is life with God. And this is what you see throughout the first half of chapter 18. God comes in 17, promises the son, circumcision. You get chapter 18 and God reinforces what salvation is supposed to look like in our lives. I mean, what are the benefits of redemption and salvation? It restores all that was once broken. Because God not only restores Abraham and Sarah to right standing before him, he also restores them to each other. Am I going to have pleasure again? He restores them to each other. Now, we're going to buzz right through the next section because I always think we should focus more on redemption than damnation, but you've got to see how this goes together like two sides of a coin. So here we go, verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So God is going to make Abraham privy to one of the most historic decisions he has ever made before it happens. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, again, God chose him, not because Abraham was so good but because God is good that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham uh, bring to Abraham what he has promised him and what you'll see is a little bit of hardship that kind of comes in this and many times God brings hardship into our lives to train us and grow us now the words command his children in the in the Hebrew is a phrase that carries the idea of legacy it's this legacy after you are dead what values do you hope your children are going to carry on. This is important because the lack of moral values and character lead to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you will see that damnation is a picture of when all of our values have gone out the window. Damnation is a picture of of you and I losing our values. It leads to damnation and destruction. God is explicit that it is the responsibility throughout the scriptures for parents to teach their children right from wrong. It's not about being their friends. It's about being their parent, helping them understand truth versus lies, even when the truth is not even popular. Now, people use this argument all the time. They say, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's stupid, because all of our laws are legislative morality of some sort. So Abraham has a lot of sin in this book. God is using this opportunity to train him to be a good parent. He's redeeming him. This is what it says. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The outcry before God is, this place is terrible. Stop this place. The word outcry has this idea of anguish behind it. It's this cry of the oppressed. In Exodus 3, 7, it's used of God's people in slavery. It's used of widows and orphans in Exodus 22. And so you see that Sodom's sin is moral and social. It's a corruption and disregard for basic human rights. And you see that damnation is seen as when we do not value the life that God has created anymore. It's a disregard for human life. Ezekiel 16.49 says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. This is the idea of hypocrisy, where we give everything to ourselves. This is people who would campaign against oil, and yet drive around gigantic SUVs. It's a Congress who votes in a health care plan that everybody in the country has to live by except themselves. It's, it's an Occupy Wall Street movement who claim people are evil, they're destroying the world, while they themselves riot and graffiti and urinate on businesses, and when police try to remove them, they cry brutality. It's a radio station like 107.3, New Rock, and they put on a public service announcement that says, stop viewing women as objects. Oh, you're terrible. Don't do that. And the very next commercial is, hey, ladies, send us your half-naked pictures for our calendars babes i mean and you're like this is hypocrisy it's stupid 
Sodom and Gomorrah's offense lies in the moral and social realm. The scriptures assume a universal moral law that's binding on all people. And the biblical perception of history is that there's a connection between social and moral behavior and its people and their ultimate, ultimate fate. And this is why what you see is salvation is God intervening in people's lives and damnation is seen when we continue on our own way. And that is Sodom. It's the picture of God allowing them to go on their own way. Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. The Old Testament said you have two witnesses to bring about a capital offense, and I love that God who knows everything still sends two witnesses into the city. Verse 23, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, what about the good guys? A bomb takes out everybody in this. Are you going to smoke them all? Is that, is that really justice? Now, Abraham's not saying God can't do this because it's his prerogative. He's just asking about the good guys. Verse 24, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who were in it? It's like, it's 50 enough. And what you see is this now becomes like a reverse auction. It's like 50, 50, 45, 45, give me 40, give me 40, 40, 40, and he gets down to 10 at the end of this. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. So Abraham knows his position. Reverent fear is the beginning of wisdom before God. Where Abraham's from, he's a big dude in front of Jesus. He's not a whole lot. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. We destroy the whole city for the lack of five. And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He said, for the sake of 40, I would not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. I don't know why he just didn't start with 10, because he's getting there anyway. He said, behold, I'm undertaking to speak to the Lord. I know I'm pushing it. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let uh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And God knows there isn't 10 there. I mean, and that's not a lot. I mean, that church would fit in a phone booth or a VW bug, right? And Abraham is focused because his nephew lives in that city. And if 10 can't be found, he's like, you know, that's it. And 10 in the Hebrew scriptures is a number of completeness. So it says, and the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You see, this, this is the idea throughout this whole thing coming together. Because you, you go through chapter 17 covenant, circumcision, relationship with God. You get to 18, and what it's doing is it's giving you the idea before you get to Sodom and Gomorrah, the difference between the salvation and damnation. Again, salvation is pictured as God's provision. It's pictured as restored relationship. It's pictured in service of how we live our lives. It's pictured as trusting God, and it's pictured as God extending himself to you and I in hope and redemption. Where damnation, again, is a picture of a loss of values and a disregard for human life, where we just continue to go on our own way. And what it wants to see, you see, is the difference between these two before it steps into Sodom and Gomorrah. See, we are all sick, and we need God to heal us and save us because He alone knows our hearts. We need to stop walking our own direction. And allow God to come in and change our lives. This is the idea that in this whole idea of what salvation is pictured as. Because when you understand in the middle of the scriptures, when, when they go and they, and they serve dinner to God, this three sayas of flour, Jesus actually references this in regard to salvation in the New Testament. These three sayas of fine flour, it's an overabundance that when the kingdom of God transforms our lives by his own revelation, this life that he gives us works itself out in an overabundance of who we are. We are so humbled and so grateful for the salvation that he has given us. 
that we begin to live this in front of everybody for everyone to see. It's not just the people who like you or the people that you like. It's for everybody. So you live a life of grace and hope and truth outside the walls of a church building so people can see who God really is and the salvation that has been given to you and I. Even if they continue on their own way to destruction, you still show what it is. And that's what this section is showing. It's beautiful how it all comes together, the idea of salvation and what it brings to people. This is one of the reasons where we come to communion every single week because communion is this idea of salvation as pictured in a meal. You break that cracker like Christ's body is for broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. represents his blood that was shed for you and I. And over this meal, we understand that our God died to bring us to salvation. It's also pictured uh, when we worship God through music. And this is salvation as pictured in a song where we, where we sing these words. And, okay. <laughs> Where we, where we sing these words, it's pictured in that. Uh, it's also pictured in prayer. There's deacons and elders in the back. And this is salvation as pictured through the mutual lifting up of each other in prayer. Uh, we also worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. We don't pass a plate. It is simply a response to what God has done. And this is salvation as pictured through giving God back what is actually his in the first place. And again, there is food and stuff in the back, and we worship God through fellowship. And this is salvation that's pictured through a muffin or donut holes, whatever's, whatever's back there. It's coming back together again. This is the idea that salvation is not just restore relationship between God and us. It's relationship between you and the person next to you. It's relationship restored between people again. Husbands and wives, friends, relatives, coworkers, neighborhoods. That's the picture. And this is what God intends for his people. It's, it's a salvation that, that's not just a hope for like these pearly gates and gold streets. It's a salvation that is a present reality in our lives today that gets lived out so the entire world sees who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do. It is a lifting up of who he is, and our lives need to be those that reflect that. We need to be a people who live on this mission. So the world sees what God is and who, what he's been doing. And so everyone lifts up his name and worship to who he is. Our God is a good God. And he has extended himself to us as his people. And that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who under, understand more and more daily how you have extended yourself to us. That we be those who trust you and worship you with all of our lives. Father, that we would picture salvation in our lives by all the things that we do, by how we touch lives around us, by how we love those around us, and also how you have loved us. Father, we ask that we would understand that you love not just us, but the city that we are in and the, and the state that we are in and the country that we are in and the world that we live upon. And so we would begin to live differently we would live the ever-present reality of your salvation because you are the God of our lives and the God of the city. And we believe that there are greater things that you will continue to do throughout the rest of our lives and, and most importantly, throughout the rest of eternity. Have us be a people who trust you, love you, and walk with you and display the gracious goodness of your salvation by all that we do. And that we'd be a people who bring salvation and hope in life and not damnation and destruction, but hope and goodness that you have brought to us. 
We ask these things in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.